when you're famous, you're in the public eye and you're a screen upon which people project what they hate or what they love or what they want to be or what they wish they were and they aren't and they're pissed about it. The person in the public eye in some ways is this unwitting social activist while trying to navigate the humanity of being in this awkward relational social situation that is fame. And a lot of people don't want to hear the grievances or the challenges of being in the public eye. It's just not something most people are up for hearing about. You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Gabe Howard, and calling into the show today, we have Alanis Morissette. Outside of entertainment, Alanis is an avid supporter of mental health and female empowerment. Alanis's 1995 worldwide debut album, Jagged Little Pill, well, it defined a generation, but it was followed by nine more albums. And her new meditation album, The Storm Before the Calm, is coming out on June 17th. Alanis, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I I am I'm super excited to be here, right? I'm 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 the right age. Jagged Little Pill was amazing. All of your follow-up music, all amazing. We've established that you're amazing. But here's the first. Have we? <laughs> yeah. I mean, just. Okay. Listen, anybody that doesn't think you're amazing can just stop listening right now. Like, this is how it's going to go from here forward. It's not a mental health podcast anymore. Oh, God. Yeah. It's really just like Gabe's podcast. It's an amazing podcast. Okay. It's, good. it's an amazing podcast. I get now. to be amazing with you. Okay. <laughs> Good to know I can be amazing. That part can come out today. Good. Right, right. I know <laughs> normally you're less than amazing, but today. Yeah, I'm kind of compromised and. Uh, <laughs> regular amazing. <laughs> just <laughs> yeah, just bring it up, Martha. Just bring it up. Okay. <laughs> I will rise for this. This is, I, I'm so happy. This is, this is going well. I, I can't wait to tell my friends about that. And I have it recorded now. The recorders are actually on this time. You have proof <laughs> that we were giggling. Okay. Right. Uh, giggling gets me through everything, by the way. Oh okay. yeah, me too. <laughs> I embrace humor as healthy. It is. It's, it's a therapy. Here is, here's my first question. I'm thinking of the jagged little pill days mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, all the way back in 1995 and everybody said this album is so angry. It's so angry. I, I don't like this. It's so angry. And and I want to be honest, 1995, Gabe, I believed it. I was like, yeah, well, she's angry. She's pissed off, right? Mm. And now, now it's 2022. I've heard the album a million times. I still own the CD. And there's one song. There's one song that you could, depending on how you listen to it, interpret it as anger. And that's mm-hmm. you ought to know. The rest of them are like super cheerful. Well, there's a song called Right Through You on there that's a little a little testy. But for me, if someone's going to one-dimensionalize it out of the gate, I'll take angry. I don't mind. Anger is actually a really good friend of mine. Not the destructive actings out of anger, but but anger itself. So I'll take it. If it must be one-dimensionalized and reduced, I'll take anger. <laughs> but it's only one-dimensionalized and reduced because you're a woman, Right. Men have put out much angrier albums that don't get that tag. Has has this followed you around your career where they just assume that you're bitter instead of it being an awesome breakup song? It's a bitter, pissed off song. Well, I think what wound up happening going into radio stations and otherwise was that people were confused. Their sense was that I would walk in and just be raging and likely knocking things over and acting out. But then I would come in and be irretrievably Canadian and relational, you know, so 
So I think there was confusion as to how can this person who's socially graceful be so angry and how can this, yes, how can this female be so angry? And it was a real opening for the multitudinousness to be included in all humanity, not just women, non-gender, men, bodies, just everybody. We all have the part of us that is angry. We all have the part of us that has the capacity to be jubilant and joyful. We have all these millions of parts in us. So for anyone to be reduced to one thing is a violence and it's ridiculous. I, I embrace anger a, a lot. I, I live with bipolar disorder. I've, I've gone through depression. I've certainly been suicidal. And and one thing that I learned about anger is there's sort of an empowerment with it, right? Like anger is the first step toward action. Right? Yeah. Angry about something and, and it moves toward action. Is this how you feel about it? Mm, no, I mean, I'm happy to have emotions define me if that's what we're going to go with. But we're we're such beautifully complex creatures, right? We have our thoughts, we have our behaviors, we have our soul, we have our, we have our senses, we have our intuition, we have all these parts. Anger is just one part of it. You know, and anger, I, I completely agree with you. So many times in, in the midst of deep, swampy, quicksandy depression, I've been livid, <laughs> just repressed, sublimated lividity. <laughs> so for me, as soon as I express it, whether it's in a therapeutic context or with a friend, a trusted, safe friend, as soon as I express it and articulate it, it moves. So for me, it's about having the energy become unstuck. So I have to just stay responsible and look at every element of what causes depression, every element of what causes certain thoughts to come streaming in and keep me in that state of depression and anxiety. One of the things that I hear a lot when I talk to people about like interviews that I do with celebrities and people in the public eye who live with depression or anxiety or any mental health issue is, oh, well, they can comfort themselves with their millions. Yeah, co-regulate with your cash. Right. <laughs> just, just cuddle up to it. I'm just going to snuggle my cash here because my cash isn't judgmental. Yeah. <laughs> no, and by the way, I get it. I think what a lot of people perceive is that hey, if I had money to afford support or an assistant or get on that without worrying about to figure out if I can afford it, or I completely understand that the perception is that someone who has this level of abundance in their life, first of all, we are privileged, ridiculously privileged. And then some of us are actually quite wounded by being in the public eye because of our temperament. A lot of artists, deeply, deeply, deeply sensitive and empathic. So there's a vulnerability temperamentally out of the gate and then you throw this person in the public eye and yeah, the cash is not going to co-regulate with you, even though it will make some things easier. Absolutely. There's no question about that. It'll also make some things more challenging and have more people to interact with and play roles with. There's a lot of roles that emerge when life changes in a financial realm. There's a whole conversation around it that I understandably most people don't want to hear about. And so I don't talk about it much. One of the things that you mentioned is that some artists are super sensitive to the the criticism, the things that they see online and the things that they hear. Well, all of those other artists aren't here. Artists. Is artists is a word? Yeah, today it is. Yeah. (laughs) 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 We're going to go with that. All the other artists. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, they're they're not here, but but you are. are. Are you one of the super sensitive artists? Is this very difficult for you or are you able to tune it out? Um. I am very, now sensitive doesn't mean reactive or easily triggered. Sensitivity is a trait, easily overstimulated, attuned to subtleties a lot, uh, deeply empathic, and then really depth of processing, a rich inner world, basically. 
So if you take that temperament out into the world interaction, there are more breaks that are required. If there's going to be some homeostasis upheld, there's a responsibility that has to go into being this type of temperament. And then to take it even further, there's the empath within the highly sensitive trait. A lot of abilities are born from those, right? There's so many, and it's such a beautiful deep dive to finally take something that myself and so many of us who are highly sensitive We've seen it as a curse almost. You know, the world values and praises extroversion. Go out there and get it. As though that's the panacea. Have you talked to anybody who's a billionaire who has zero problems? (laughs) And has relational grace. (laughs) I'm fascinated by this part, you know, to hearken back to that whole comfort yourself with your cash. Like we haven't seen rich people die by suicide. Like we haven't seen famous people be admitted to psychiatric hospitals. Like we haven't yeah. seen the, the breakdown of uh, all yeah. kinds of socioeconomic classes because of mental illness, but we just wave it off. Is that just because mental illness isn't understood? Yeah. I'm really curious to that whole statement from your vantage point. Yes. It's egregiously misunderstood. When I talk with someone and they say, you know, they want to know about my experience with eating disorders, or they want to know, and I just think, wow, where do I, where should I unfurl this scroll? of insights and realizations and healing pivotal moments, you know, because it's so complicated, but in a really sweet way, like the more knowledge I, I gleaned and gained from studying and learning and getting into the psyche and and understanding what was going on within me and what parts were starving and in pain, unless I had gone into this interiority and really, really showed up to therapy and showed up and grieved, you know, there would be no way to really articulate. There's actually no way for me to articulate in a, in a short point form way, everything that I've learned, I can give pieces. What's it like from your vantage point to hear people just dismiss your mental health issues because you just happen to be in the public eye, a talented singer, rich, oh, right. whatever word we're using this week to describe celebrity? Yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> I get it. People don't want to hear about it for the most part, but I have to tell you, tons of people understand. Anyone in the psychotherapeutic community completely understands that human is human. They don't care. Thankfully, I haven't had people poo-poo my journey as a human being. (laughs) I've had therapists and many, many mentors and teachers who couldn't have cared less that I was subject to abundances and fame. In fact, they saw it as a compounding of my challenges, um, a a greater way for me to isolate, which is one of the recipes for disaster, you know, and I don't mean disaster as in we're doing something wrong if we isolate. It's a natural tendency. When we're in this much pain and the sensation is this strong and this debilitating and this distracting, I think of some people, even in the meditative world where they're just like, you know, watch the thoughts. And I'm like, but if you're in a painful place, when we're in that physical somatic sensation of pain, And it can be so debilitating that your life completely slips away in terms of attention, you know? So, so when someone says, oh, you can just meditate it out. I'm like, actually, no, (laughs) I actually can't because this sensation in my chest or my shoulders or my jaw is so distracting and debilitating that it won't turn away until I give it attention. It's screaming at me. So paying attention and having a quality of inquiry or curiosity is one of the most amazing ways to crawl up and be pulled out of the quicksand through relationships. But I have to tell you, if there are voices and parts in there that are really protective and managerial and cruel, 
that are ongoingly loud in our heads, these voices, we don't want to be left alone with those voices. We want to be with a safe other who's got some wisdom and really look at it and to show where it's false, you know, cause I can guarantee life myself that if I feel like shit, there's some false thoughts going on. There's something I'm believing that isn't true. And me investigating that alone, when I'm down there, it's really hard to do alone. So the very thing that we're doing to survive, which is isolate, is the thing that is keeping us stuck in the quicksand. And there's nothing wrong with any of it. I mean, it's a natural tendency. When I'm in pain or struggling, my tendency is to go hide. My tendency is to go within and kind of disappear. And that's the recipe for even more isolation, more pain, suicidality, all of it. One of the things in my life that is sort of giving me, I don't know, an existential crisis is how I see things differently as I've aged. And your album, Jagged Little Pill, your your worldwide debut, when it first came out, I honestly thought that Jagged Little Pill referenced drugs. Like that was that was where 17-year-old mm-hmm. Gabe's could. mind was. Yeah, smart. Yeah, then, then 10 years later, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and I decided that Jagged Little Pills were the psychiatric medications. <laughs> the reality is I, I have no idea where you came up with it. Maybe you just thought it was cool. Well, it's all of it. It's all of it. Is there a mental illness component to that name? Um, of course. I mean, it's it's basically, it can be a metaphor, it can be literal, it can be figurative, it can be energetic, it can be just a turn of phrase to imply that when I'm hearing tough feedback, when I'm hearing something that is hard for me to hear, let's say if someone's marking a blind spot and it's like, oh gosh, I know I need to hear this, but it's tough to hear, that's the jagged little pill. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me. Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com slash IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. Hi there. I'm Faye McCray, editor-in-chief of Psych Central. Whether you're looking for free resources, quizzes, or thought-provoking personal perspectives, Psych Central has what you need to join you on your mental health journey. Psych Central's talented team of award-winning writers, editors, and medical professionals are passionate about creating a safe, inclusive, and trustworthy environment where you feel seen and heard. Visit us now at psychcentral.com. That's psychcentral.com. And we're back with multi-platinum recording artist Alanis Morissette. So obviously there's a lot of people involved in the podcast. I, I just take all the credit, but there's there's many, many people. <laughs> and they're listening now. One of the, <laughs> the person who is the 
most in charge behind the scenes. In fact, I, I do whatever she says. I'm kind of scared of her. As a woman that I've worked with for almost 20 years now, her her name is Lisa Kiner. She's getting a big shout out on the show. <laughs> and she wrote something in like the show notes as we're going through and, and you know getting questions and doing that stuff. And she said, and I'm going to read it exactly. Okay. She said, at the time of Jagged Little Pill, I kind of thought that Alanis was constructed. I thought that she was the corporate commodification of feminism and female rage. But I got to tell you, she's practically the most authentic person that anyone could possibly be. She goes on stage wearing stuff from her own closet, not something a stylist picked out. She even writes her own songs. It's just unheard of for a female artist to be like her in 2022, let alone 25 years ago. Mm. How the hell did she do that? (laughs) How the hell did you do that? Lisa, (laughs) can you tell me how you did that? (laughs) Yeah, Um, Lisa wants to know. know. Okay. Um, first of all, that's very kind. I did have different philosophies instilled in me value system-wise from my parents to, to just keep walking, you know, and I had a manager when I was quite young who would say things like, this is going to get really intense for you. And I just want pretend you're on a train track and just keep looking down one step in front of the other. Just stay as, in his own way. He was saying, stay as present as possible. And for me, it is the panacea. I mean, if there is one, which of course there isn't, but staying hyper present and having the spaciousness and the, and the opportunity to apply awareness, which is basically loving attention to whatever needs to be inquired into, you know, that has been really helpful. I don't take things too seriously, including myself. I take empathy very seriously. That part is where I go, where there's a big funk for me. Like if someone's in pain, but I don't take life too seriously. And not all of us, including myself, we don't always have that space to be, to just sit in beingness and rest in awareness the way that ultimately is our birthright. We don't even know how to do it because we're taught and conditioned. We're conditioned from almost day one, from parenting, from media, from everywhere we look, from billboards, we're conditioned to carve ourselves into this one expression of what we're supposed to look like, how we're supposed to walk, how we're supposed to dress, what our bank account number is supposed to be, who our friends are supposed to be. So we're trying to figure out the one path we're supposed to take. And if there was one piece of feedback, again, not my favorite word, that I got over the years, especially from the industry, they didn't like my multitudinousness. They didn't like that I liked rock and comedy and spirituality and that I was a philosopher and you know, throw me in a room with people asking, quote unquote, big questions. And it's my favorite place. I'm drooling. They didn't like that I wasn't singular because somehow in some book somewhere it said that you're supposed to be one thing and stay in your lane. For some, staying in one lane is a pure rest and joy. For me, it's a prison. Well, yeah. The, if you stay in your lane, that's called being on brand. I'm making air quotes on brand. So you got to be on brand. You got to be one thing. You, you can't be many right. things. Well, that's confusing. I know. Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. So so that's one of the pervasive messages to, to touch on the bigness of Lisa's question is I've always been uncomfortable with being reduced to one thing. Although I'm happy to have someone project that onto me if that's going to help their journey. That's awesome. Okay, great. So, so you know, metaphors new to you and, and that's all you can see in my songs. Great. Rage is scary or new. Then that's all you can see in my songs. Okay. <laughs> you know, wisdom and, and uh, psychological understanding is important to you. And so that's what you see in my songs. 
So it's all in some ways, we're all just projecting all over each other. It is amazing how often I listen to a song and I think, oh, this is a beautiful song, like your song Head Over Feet. I danced to it at my wedding. It was a beautiful song. I loved it. My high school girlfriend and I, that was our song. And I loved it. And then we got divorced. Now it's the worst song ever. Oh, no. I cringe when it comes on. Like, I fucking hate that song. Yeah, that, that's what I say every time I like, turn that on. Just, and they play it at every wedding ever. Oh, uh, you held the door for me. I'm like, God, I want to slam people's head in that door. And now I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, as we age, songs take on different meanings. Does that happen for you? Like you wrote the song. Do you ever write a song thinking it means one thing? And then 10 years later, the song that you wrote, that you birthed, that you performed, and you're like, eh, it doesn't mean that anymore for me. Well, it's not so much that it's, it's relegated to some trash bin because my perception changed. It's that it's been updated. And there's a little more insight. So as an example, there's a song called Not the Doctor that I wrote when I was 19. And I hadn't been in the kind of committed relationship that I'm now in in my marriage. And so basically, that song implies, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with your healing process. You're over there, and I'm over here, and figure we'll figure it out. It was a little more autonomous because, again, a pervasive message in culture is it's valued somehow to figure everything out on your own. Because this big autonomy movement happened, I think, after the Second World War, where a lot of the men went to fight and women thought, okay, well, I guess I have to start doing all the stuff that he was doing. And I'm noticing that I can. <laughs> that That's really the takeaway, right? You're allowed to update yeah. your beliefs about your songs, just like everybody else can update their beliefs and the meanings around your songs. Exactly. Yeah. And it's interpretation. Yeah, we can interpret differently as we get older. And and we do, by the way, not as even as we get older, sometimes 10 minutes later, <laughs> you know, it's like perception and the localization of where of us looking out and interpreting songs and interpreting paintings. You know, there are some paintings that I remember looking at and just thinking, oh, that's beautiful. You know, then when I look at it in my 30s, I'm weeping. <laughs> so it's all our lenses. It's how we shift. But for the most part, I'm going to completely contradict myself and say, for the most part, a lot of these songs have have stood the, the test of time in, in terms of my being able to perform them with conviction because I'm still in and of that value system, if that makes sense. For me, when I'm on stage, if I hear a line, if a line stands out as it's coming out of my vocal cords, I'll dwell on that for a minute to the point where I have to kind of bring myself back to the present because it's they're all um, they're all rabbit holes. They're all sort of invitations. I used to think this about Bob Dylan. I'd be vacuuming in my house listening to Bob Dylan, and I'd have heard the song 20 times, and for some reason, one line would stick out that day, and it would haunt me in a great way, and I would think about it. So there are certain things that jump out of us, and I, I see that as moments of, this message is for me today. I'm not too precious about it, but I'll just think, okay, I was supposed to hear that line. I was supposed to read that paragraph. Alanis, I'm so glad that you brought up All I Really Want because there is a lyric in there that haunts me for 25 years because it was true 25 years ago and it's true today. And that's the lyric, why are you so petrified of silence? Because I I personally genuinely am. And it put it into words for me. I, I was able to tell other people, hey, 
I'm, I'm scared of silence. Like my, and this did, I'm not saying it led to me being diagnosed with bipolar disorder, getting mental health help. It wasn't, but people started asking questions like, why are you scared to be alone? Why are you scared of silence? And it, it helped me put it into words. This is why I genuinely say I'm so glad that you're writing songs about this and, and, and other artists as well. And it doesn't get enough because it, sometimes the best way to put things into words is to use other people's words because because we're busy. We're not 100% <laughs> sure what's going on. Yeah, yeah, your schedule is jammed, dude. You need, you need to pull some things. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm busy being depressed, anxious, yeah, tired. Yeah, take a lot of energy, as you know. I, I can't formulate an explanation. This, this is why we have singers and songwriters. You Come shouldn't on. have to either. Yeah. That's what we're here for. Yeah, I just yeah. I go into a therapist. I play this song. It's like, this is what's wrong with me. Boop. Yeah. 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 It's so helpful. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's much easier. But I mean, sincerely, I, I want to make sure that all the listeners understand that as well. It, it's, I think writing about these songs, isn't just a mechanism to make people aware of them. It, it's also a mechanism of people who can relate to it, realize they're not alone. And I, I think that's super powerful. And then what happens? Then you're not alone. Yes. The instant we find that we're not alone, it's a regulatory moment, right? It's a relational moment. And as much as I thought I could heal by isolating and heal by being self-protective and shutting down and dissociating and all the fun stuff that I've done and still do, the only way out is to be across from a safe other. And, you know, there's so many one-liners that are brilliant, like, we're as quote-unquote sick as the secrets we keep. There's just so many beautiful one-liners that imply that if our life is riddled with shame and hiding and isolation, it's the complete opposite of what the invitation of life is. And we're all protected. So many of us are protected and defended and reactive and dangerous. Where it might have been that we would have seen a a saber-toothed tiger in some context in some field somewhere. Now we see it at the grocery store. Or so we think. You know, we think that these people are dangerous or judgmental. and, And perhaps they are. But it's too chronic. Our bodies were not meant to stay in a state of emergency 24-7. We just weren't. So it makes sense that our systems are shutting down. Alanis, thank you so much for taking the time. Your new album, The Storm Before the Calm, it's listed as a meditation album. And I I don't want to sound like I don't know what I'm talking about. But what is a meditation album? For me, it's an invitation to stillness, spaciousness, inquiry. Um, talking to different parts who've been ignored and really need our attention or they're going to act out, or it's just a break. But the one qualification that I do want to make around this meditation record is that meditation, when it's super silent, can actually be an anxiety-inducing process, and it's actually not helpful. Sometimes music or guided meditations can be helpful because there's some implication of, of relationality built into it. The irony here is I'm putting a meditation record out and letting people know that it's not always smart to meditate. (laughs) Sometimes it's just about having someone love you across from you. There's so many different states of our sweet humanity that this record really touches on a big handful of them and sometimes two or three within each song. Well, I can't wait to check that out. And I hope all of my listeners do as well. Alanis, thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh. Thanks for this conversation, Gabe. I really appreciate it. Thank you for for exactly addressing the thing that that you mentioned being challenging in terms of seeing that the planet seemingly isn't open to some of what we dwell in. But I have to tell you, so many people are, millions are. 
Absolutely. I know from my one-on-one conversations and my email that, that people are absolutely into it. So Yeah, we're we're all out there. We're all doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us hanging by a thread. <laughs> but we're still here. <laughs> Well, a big thank you to all of my listeners as well. My name is Gabe Howard, and I am the author of Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations, as well as an award-winning public speaker who could be available for your next event. My book is on Amazon because, well, everything's on Amazon, or you can get a signed copy with free show swag or learn more about me over at GabeHoward.com. My favorite part, Alanis, of hosting this podcast, yeah. we're, we're done now, and the recorders are still on, so don't say anything that'll get me fired, okay. but my favorite part is that okay. every single guest laughs at mental illness as an asshole. <laughs> it's the, the number one thing. I wonder, I I wonder why, Gabe. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was a pretty innocuous title. I just, oh yeah, super innocuous. Does it mean something? Doesn't nail it on the jugular. <laughs> Alanis, thank you so, so much. I, I know you have to, to get going. I, yeah. I really appreciate the time. Thank you, Gabe. I can't wait to read your book. And thanks for, for all you're doing in the world. I, I salute you and appreciate you. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners. Please follow or subscribe to the show. It is absolutely free. And do me a favor, recommend the show to a friend, family member, or colleague. Referring the show is how we grow. I will see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health. You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.